Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nbplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. The book of Isaiah, uh, it's one of those intriguing books in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the book of Isaiah is a snapshot of the Bible. It's a snapshot of the Bible. One, because the name of Isaiah, the name of Isaiah, the definition of Isaiah means the Lord, Yahweh, saves. The reason God gives us a Bible is to give us the message of the salvation of the Lord. The Bible is a book that shows us that God has a salvific plan for our lives. That's on that note, definition of the name. The content of the book is intriguing because when you look at your Bible, your Bible is broken in two parts, two major parts. You have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. The Old Testament is composed of 39 chapters. Interestingly, the book of Isaiah, just like your Bible, has 66 chapters. The Bible has 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. The first 39 books of the Bible are the Old Testament. And the Old Testament deals with law, judgment, consequence of sin. The book of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters deals with Israel's sin, consequence of sin, Judgment, just like the Old Testament, the first 39 books deals with that. The other 20 books of the Bible is what we call the New Testament or the gospel of grace. The last 27 chapters of the book of Isaiah deal with the restoration of God towards his people. So when you read the book of Isaiah... Depending if you're chapter 1 through 39, you already know that's judgment, condemnation, consequence of sin. If you're in the last 27 chapters, you know you're in the dispensation, quote-unquote, of God's promise towards Israel. So the book of Isaiah of itself is a picture of the Bible as a whole. Another fact is that most of Jesus' teachings comes from the book of Isaiah. A lot of the things he says when he teaches comes out of the book of Isaiah. A lot of the prophetic utterances in the book of Revelations comes from the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah is an important prophetic book that undergirds the message of Christ, salvations, and events to come. On that note, Isaiah, this letter, or writes this book, 720 years before Jesus was born. 720 years before Jesus is born in the planet, Isaiah captures this prophetic book from the Lord in his heart. And it is within the context of time, 720 years, he's writing about something that he will not physically get to see But God gives him a glimpse through the Spirit to show him 
what God was going to look like before God even showed up in the planet. Isaiah chapter 9 in your Bible, verse 6. It says, Isaiah is saying, remember I told you, remember I told you the first 27 chapters, 39 chapters is condemnation, judgment, okay? The first 39 chapters. The first 39 books of the old of the Bible are judgment, law, consequence. But it's interesting that even though in the middle of the even though in the Old Testament there's all condemnation, judgment, there's always glimpses of promises. Testament has to deal with all of that stuff. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, there's a promise that out of the seed of the woman was gonna come a son, and he was gonna crush the devil. Remember that scripture? So even though in the, in, the, in the era of the Old Testament that is law, judgment, condemnation, there's a glimpse of hope. In the beginning of the book of Isaiah, even though it's chapter 9, it's still connected to judgment and consequences, there's a glimpse of hope. And Isaiah is going to tell us through Scripture, okay, what's going to happen in the future. He says, verse 6 of chapter 9 of the book of Isaiah, he says, for Unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah is saying to his people 720 years before Jesus shows up, he says, a son is born. But time out. Look what he says. First sentence says, for unto us a child is born. What does that mean? If I tell you he's born, that means that I just, I witnessed the birth of a child. Right? So it sounds as if he is right there when the son is being born. But then he says, go back, go back, go back, verse 6. And then he says, and he will be called, time out. If he is now, why he can't be called that now? He says, unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. But time out. But you're writing this 720 years before he actually was born. So that tells me that while he's writing, God is giving Isaiah a glimpse of what's going to happen before it happened. So from the moment he declares his prophetic utterances, everybody is saying, when is he coming? When is he coming? But then he says, here's how you know he's born. You'll know he's born because of how he's going to be called. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You'll know he's here when he can say, I am. Now, 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 now let me talk about the importance of a name. Because when it comes to names in the Bible, Bible names were very significant and important. Why? Because a name in the Bible had to deal with your background, your character, and your destiny. Today, nowadays, we just name people random. Yeah. 
Just random. What you gonna name him? I'm, you know, I'm Jay-Z's up there. Hey, hey, holla. Let's call him Jay-Z. No, no, that's not how it works. Okay? People will call their children based on that. Their character, their background, and their destiny. That's why whenever, whenever God came across somebody that God had a purpose for, God made it his business to change names. He finds a man by the name of Abram who was living in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. And when God encounters Abraham, he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Now, why is this important? Because there's something about you having an encounter with God that the, the byproduct of your encounter is that there should supposed to be a transformation in your identity, in your background, and in your future. You cannot be in Christ and still Abraham before God met you. Because when God has a plan for you, not only he's going to save you, he's going to change you, he's going to restore you, and he's going to give you a destiny where you got to go. So God takes Abram, a father of one, and turns him into Abraham, a father of nations. And this is why this is important, that you have a relationship with God. Because the closer you get to God, the more you're going to realize the purpose whereby God has brought you to the foot of the cross. God didn't just call us to be Christians. He called us to change our identity. He calls us to be like Christ. He calls us that we may walk in the fullness of the calling that God has for us. So he takes a man of no, no notoriety by the name of Abram, changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And he puts an H right in the middle, and I could preach about the H, but I won't do that today because that's not my sermon. He takes Abram, turns him into Abraham. He takes Benoni, which means son of my pain and son of my sorrow, and he changes his name to Benjamin, which means sons of my strength. The power of a name. The power of a name. He takes a man by the name of Jacob, who was a supplanter, a stealer, trickster, and he changes his name into Israel. He takes a man by the name of Simon, which means unstable, which means that goes with the wind, and he changes his name to Peter, which, which, which means rock, which means solid. He takes a man by the name of Saul and changes his name and turns him into Paul, because every person who comes in contact with Jesus, their name has got to change. Their identity has got to change. Their character, don't tell me you're in Christ and you're the same liar, the same cheater, the same fornicator, the same pothead. No, no, no. If you're in Christ, your character's got to change. Your attitude's got to change. Paul put it this way. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Listen to me. The first thing God does when you give your life to Jesus, he gives you a change of name. As a matter of fact, when you go to heaven, the Bible says that God's going to give us all a white little stone. And in that stone, we're all going to have a new name. Listen to me, church. I'm talking to the church. Whenever God encounters people and he has a purpose for them, he changes their name. So the question is, why does Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his, the government will be on his shoulders, and he shall be called huh, Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Why, why, why all of these names? 
Why not just call him one? Why don't you just do Saul, Paul, Simon, Peter, Benoni, Benjamin, Abraham, Abraham. Why, why, why four names? Let me tell you this, and I'm almost done with my introduction. Why this verse has so many names instead of one? Because they're not names. Isaiah doesn't call them names. Isaiah calls them titles. He says, he says, unto us a son is born, a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And he shall be called counselor. Come on. Mighty God. Everlasting father. Prince of Peace, but none of these are going to call him, but that's not his name. Those are his titles. Now listen to me, listen to me. None of these are names. They're titles. Now understand, understand, when, when, you know, my title, my title is pastor. Hey, I'm the pastor of the church. That's my title. That's my office. When I was born and the doctor spanked me, if he spanked me, I don't know if he spanked me, but if he spanked me, and that's not a crime. The doctor asked my mama, what are we going to call the boy? My mother didn't tell him, call him pastor. Because pastor was never my name. Matter of fact, she called me, in case you ain't know, here's my real name. Jose Gabriel Mejia, Jr. That's my name. Right? She called me that name. But none of those names have anything to do with my title. My title is pastor. Now, my mother did not have the authority to give me the title of pastor because the title of pastor is an office, a title, a job given from above. So what happened? While Gabby was living life frivolously, Gabby came across this person called Jesus, the son of the living God. When Gabby met Jesus, Jesus changed Gabby's identity. But not only did he change, he gave me a title I never knew I was going to have. He made me a pastor. So when I stand here as a pastor, I'm not pastor of new birth because that's a title I had all along. No, no, no. That title came as a result of my relationship with God. The closer I got with God, the hungry I got for God, God began to tell me, I brought you on the planet because there's a pastor inside of you. So when you see me operating in the gift of a pastor... It ain't because my mama said I was going to be a pastor. It's because God said, this is what you're called to do. <laughs> Listen to me. So that's my title. Isaiah is saying, this son that's going to come, these are his titles. And he gives us a title for 720 years prior to Christ's coming. He says, whenever you see a person operating like an everlasting father, a mighty God, a mighty counselor, and a prince of peace, whenever you see those titles in one person, that is the son of the living God. And then he says something that blew my mind. He says, unto us, verse 6. Check that out. Read this. As a matter of fact, let's all read it together. Let's go to verse 6. It says, on the count of three. One, two, three. Shut up. Right there. Right there. Right there. <laughs> Unto us, a child is born. A son. You see that? A son is given. It's, it, looks like, it looks like the prophet is being redundant. 
it looks like he's, he, does, he wants to find another word to explain the child. He says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And it sounds like he has not, you know, he, he's trying to occupy, you know, the, the papyrus and fill up words in there. But, it, but if, you, if, you, if you think that what he wrote there is just redundant grammar, you are very confused and you're very mistaken. And allow me to enlighten you. Why did he write the word son and the word child? And it sounds the same, but it's not the same. He says, for unto us a child is born. Notice, who is born is who? The child. And then it says, unto us a son is what? Okay. Because when you talk about God, God is composed of the father, the son, and the... Isaiah couldn't say, unto us the son is born, because the son has always been in existence before the foundations of the world. But, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. When Isaiah is writing this book... Isaiah is seeing God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but then he sees a unto us a son, unto us a son is given. Now understand that there's a complete distinct difference between the child and the son. Isaiah says the child was born. What does that mean? That it was made. But then it says the son was given. Why? Because you can make a son. Okay, okay. Last year, last year, last year, I was preaching in this pulpit. And I was talking about, I don't know what I was talking about. But I gave an illustration how I, how I wish, I wish, wish my wife did me a custom-made suit. I don't know if you remember that. Right? And you know what happened? She never did me my, my custom-made suit. <laughs> never did. And I said it from the pulpit. I wish God would touch my wife. She was like, bind the devil. The devil is a lie. And doing it, right? <laughs> but some men in the church on Father's Day, on Father's Day, the men of the church got together, gave me a gift card from Men's Warehouse, and... They said, Pastor, here, so you could do your custom-made suit. Guess what? I got my custom-made suit. Yeah. <laughs> I finally got it. Go. <laughs> I got my suit. Right? I got my suit. If you look at my suit, in the inside pocket, it has my name on it, Gabby Mejia. I was, I was trying to put new birth, a place of hope, www. It's just too much. I, I couldn't put too much. It's just too much. I couldn't do it. Right? So, 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 so I, 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 it has my name on it. The suit is custom to my fitting. It's my suit. It has my name on it. Right? And the suit was made for me. Now, if you go, if I put my suit in a closet with a bunch of suits and I tell you, bring me my suit, you know which is mine because all you have to do is look at the name and my name is there. Now, the suit is not me. The suit has my name on it, but it's not me. 
So when the Bible says unto us a child, the child is not the son. The child was born or made for the son who was always in existence. So, so, so when, 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 when the reason why they made me a suit was because before the suit was made, I was present. So the seamstress came and took measurements of my body and she took measurements of my legs and she measured my, my neck 15 and a half, my sleeve 34, 34. Somebody got to somebody. <laughs> 15 and a half, 34, 35. 34 waist, 32 seam long. Right, right, right. Now, 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 while, 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 while the seamstress is making the dress, she doesn't know me. She hasn't met me. She doesn't know who I am. But she knows I am there because somebody gave her the measurements. When I said to us, a, he never met the son of God, mano to mano. He never saw, but, but what God is saying, what God is saying, I have an eternal son by the name of Jesus that I want to bring to a dying world, but the only way I can bring him is if I prepare a body so that when he comes, the son could come in. So the existence of the son is the reason why the child is born. If there were no son, there would be no child. So that's why Isaiah says, unto us a child is born. For what purpose? So that the son could be given. So God prepared a body for Jesus before he ever came to the planet. Look what Hebrews chapter 5, chapter 10, sorry, verse 5 and on says. It says, therefore, when Christ came to the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Look what Jesus is saying. But a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, here I am. As it is written of me in the scroll, I have come to do your will. My God, he said, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance to the law. Then he said, here I am again. I have come to do your will. What will did Jesus came to do? The will of the Father, which was leaving his state of God to becoming a man and take a, a tabernacle of flesh so that whenever you saw the boy, you can see the son in the boy. He says, he says, he says, I've come to do your will. Verse 12, but when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemy to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those, I'm sorry, perfect forever those who are being made holy. What is the writer of Hebrews telling us? What he is telling us is that before the son was born, God prepared a body which was through the body of the child called Jesus. And this is the great revelation of the kenosis of Philippians chapter 2. How a mighty God by the name of Jesus reduces all of his splendor, all of his glory, all of, all of his majesty, all of his exousia, and he puts 
the minimum of what he could express in a child, a baby. It's interesting that Isaiah says, he shall be called mighty counselor, everlasting father, right? But when they say, what you going to call him, Mary calls him Jesus. Why didn't she call him everlasting father, prince of peace, mighty God, counselor? Why she calls him Jesus? Because she's calling the boy. She's not calling God. Now, what does Jesus mean? Same thing Joseph, Joshua means, the savior of the world. But, 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 what, but, what, but, but, but what I like about this story is, is that while the baby is being born, the baby is just the suit so that the son of God could enter into the world. So when I look at the child, I'm not looking at a goo-goo gaga. When I look at the child, I'm seeing that behind that baby, there is a son of the living God who got brought into the world so that I can be in the image of Christ. And then he says, he says, he says, this son is going to enter in this child. And here are the four names, which, by the way, Jesus lived every one of the titles throughout his three and a half years of ministry. And I'll close the series with that. But one of them was wonderful counselor. One of the job descriptions of this son who would be born is to be a wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful counselor in Hebrew is a beautiful word. It's the word Pele Yoes. Now let me tell you what Pele Yoes means. Wonderful is the word Pele. And Pele, the word Pele, when Isaiah, remember Isaiah is seeing this 720 years before Jesus comes. He sees the baby. He sees the child. He sees, and when he sees him, he, the only thing that comes out of his word is Pele. Pele. Somebody say Pele. Pele means beyond understanding. Isaiah, when he, when he is seeing this God, the Son of God, entering into this thing called the suit of man, when he sees that dynamic happening, the Son of God entering on the baby, when he sees that metamorphosis of the incarnation, God entering man, all he calls it is wonderful. He says, there's, there's no words to explain. This is beyond understanding. This is beyond reasoning. There's a palais, Isaiah ex- captures when he sees the divine entering the mundane that's why the God that we serve is greater than any God in the world in the world why because only our God has the capacity to lower himself to be like you and me and three and a half later years later resurrect in power and go back to being the God he was before he became the son of man to God be the glory he says this is wonderful Pele. I am in awe. But then he calls him Yoez, which means a comforter. And when you combine both words, he is the wonderful comforter. He is the wonderful advisor. I don't know if you ever had, have you guys ever had counseling before? You know, you need to, you know, your marriage is in crisis, you go for counseling, or you're in struggle, you go to counseling. But, but isn't it annoying? When your marriage is, in a, is at the brink of divorce and you're fighting all the time, you say, you know what, we need counseling. And you go to a counselor and your marriage just got worse after the visit? Isn't it annoying? You go to a counselor and while you're telling him all your worries, he's, he's flipping his phone, checking his status on Instagram. Isn't that annoying? Isaiah says, this counselor 
You know, all the counselors down the block. This is a wonderful counselor. He is, whenever you sit at the foot of this counselor, you're going to be marvel. Whenever you sit at the foot of this counselor, you're going to be in awe. Whenever you sit at the foot of this counselor, your life will be transformed. I'm here to tell you, Jesus came in the body of a man so that whenever you come to Jesus, he will give you what you need. He'll feed in your spirit the word you need so that you can walk life in victory knowing that your hands is in the hands of the wonderful counselor, church. Now, what drives you? To seeking the counselor. Because some counselors I've gone to, and I, I will never go back to that cat. But there are some counselors that when you go to, wow, it really inspired me. I'm going to keep going. Listen to me. What makes a counselor a good counselor? I'll give you four points, and we'll close. Number one, a good counselor is a good listener. Is a good listener. And John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I want you to know, church, that every time you you speak to God and every time you pray to God and every time you look counsel to God, God hears you. And he says, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask. Not, in other words, God is not only going to hear your stuff, but God in due season, according to his perfect will, he's going to advocate, he's going to make a way, he's going to open. Greatness about your mighty counselor, your wonderful counselor, not only has the capacity to hear your need, but he also has the riches in glory to satisfy and give you the desires of your heart. I'm here to tell you today, if you don't have this counselor, you have bad listening counselors. But when you sit down before the foot of the master and the savior of the world, I can promise you, you sit at the foot of the Lord and at the end of your session, you're walking with a pep in your step because you know that your God has heard your prayer and he will make a way. He is a good counselor. Here's another quality of good counselors. Good counselors are always there. They're always present. They don't work by the clock. They're always available. Deuteronomy 31 and 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or afraid because of them. For the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Matthew 28 and 20 says, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am always unto the ages of the world. Your counselor is there to give you a good report. But your counselor is going to walk with you every Every step of the way. That's why in this walk you need the wonderful counselor. That's why in this walk you cannot, you might not have your best friends and you might not have the people that you want to have, but make sure that that counselor is there because he will, he will help you, he will restore you, he will equip you, he will fortify you, he will be there in the times of help and he will be present in your time of need, church. Here's the other one, and this one I like, of my counselor. And that is that he empathizes with our struggles. He knows what I'm going through. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 14, verse 14 through 16. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, don't get it twisted, the son of God. He says, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. So, so that stuff you're going through, you're like, oh, Jesus, you know what I'm going through? He's like, Papa, I've been there, done that, got a T-shirt. <laughs> he empathizes with us. He empathizes with us in our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just like we sin. So the difference between you and God is that he knows what it is to want to hit somebody back. He knows what it is to want to hurt somebody because he's been there. He, they talked about him. They try to hit him with rocks. They try to throw him over perfect precipice. They nail him to a cross. They call him a sinner. They call him a liar. They call him a, 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 an adulterer. But while he was doing attack, he was being attacked like that. He said he never, 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 never sin. I want to be next to a counselor that know what it is to go through what I'm going through and tell me, but you still can be faithful. You still can make it. Don't give in. Don't quit. Honor God. Be faithful. He says, I've been there, tempted in every way. Now the difference between you and me is that I ain't sin. I know a way of escape from that temptation. He says, I've been there. You've been, you, 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 you've been hated on? <laughs> Papa, one of my 12 backstabbed me. Oh, did they, they talk about you? <laughs> my best friend denied me three times. Oh, you ain't got money to pay no rent? <laughs> Birds have nests. Foxes have hoes. And the son of money got nowhere to put his head. Oh, he knows what you go through. He's been there. But I like that he says, not only did I go through what you went through, but I didn't. And then, and then you, if the verse stays like that, it's like, oh, my God, he's up there and I'm down here and I can never be at his level. But look at the next verse, verse 16. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace. As if to say, you don't have to see me as you're there and I can never reach that standard. No, he says, come, come. I want to invite you to come. Let us approach God's throne with grace, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I'm glad that this God became man to empathize with me. That's a wonderful counselor. And lastly, a great counselor is the one that heals, counsels, and changes our lives. What drives a person to seek the wonderful counsel of God. Listen to me. What drives you to seek counsel? Our sinful nature. And I think we have to change this. Because many of us only get counseling when things are wrong. But there's this thing called preventive counseling. So every time we hear the word counseling... It's like a bad word for us. Because in our minds, me, in our mind, we must be doing something wrong. And many people in the body of Christ, they don't take advantage of the mighty, of the wonderful counselor. Because now that we are in Christ, we feel that we are exempt from the need of counseling. And here's why. Because sometimes a decrease in our need for God is disguised by spiritual maturity. Let me explain that. Many people feel that they don't need the wonderful counselor. 
because they've reached a level where they feel self-sufficient in themselves. And let me tell you, that is the biggest misconception of any believer. That you feel that you reached a level in your life that you no longer lead the counsel of God. The Bible puts it this way. He who is holy, be holier even more. So let us not fall into the trap of self-aggrandizement and say, well, I don't need because I, I got from Jesus all I needed and I'm good and I'm ready to do life by myself. But that every day we live, we can be in pursuit of our wonderful counselor. In pursuit of our wonderful counselor. Isaiah said, he one of his titles, this wonderful counselor. Then he says, everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace. But today the Lord is challenging us to go in our, put ourselves in the hands of our counselor. And you don't have to fake the funk with him and you don't have to pretend with him. He says, I've been there. I've done that. The difference between you and I is I didn't sin. So what struggles are you going through? What temptations are you going through? Why are you running from the God who knows, who empathizes with you? Come. Bring them your broken marriage. Bring them your broken heart. Bring them your callous experiences. Bring it to you. Why are we running from the only person that can change us? Today, he says, Come boldly to the throne of grace. So here's what I want to do as you all stand. I want to pray. The righteous. The Old Testament, the Old Testament and the New Testament was full of righteous people who had a form of godliness but denied the power thereof. Today I want to talk to broken people. Because this Isaiah 9-6 became a reality because of broken people. Broken people is the reason why Jesus came to the earth. And broken people are the ones that need this wonderful counsel. We hope this message has inspired you. As a place of hope, our church is committed to reach our community. If you'd like more information about New Birth, visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com.